Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Cuts with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromolo. Well, as the NFL's 100 season enters its third week, the on-field product could be less attractive than usual. Why is that? All the star quarterbacks seem to be falling like dominoes. It all started with Andrew Luck's surprise retirement toward the end of preseason. And early last week, Sam Darnold, one of the most exciting young quarterbacks in the league, contracted mono. Last Thursday, not only did Cam Newton look like a very diminished player, he re-aggravated the foot injury he suffered in preseason. And on Sunday, future Hall of Famers Drew Brees and Ben Roethlisberger suffered serious injuries with the former expected to miss at least six weeks. We'll know more on that tomorrow after his thumb surgery is completed. And the latter placed on season-ending injured reserve and headed for Tommy John surgery. And my man Hal Bent, what should diehard football fans be hoping for with all these key quarterbacks out? Well, we're going to be hoping for a diamond in the rough to emerge out of this uh, somehow, whether it's a unknown quarterback, a Mason Rudolph taking that next step up, or a Jacoby Brissett blossoming. The NFL is built on quarterback star power, and there are going to be a lot of quarterbacks getting an opportunity they did not expect. So hopefully we get one or two out of here who provide some exciting and entertaining uh, games here for the rest of the season with all these stars out. Most definitely. And another key name you left on that list, Teddy Bridgewater. Man, what a story would it be? Um, suffering a potentially career-ending knee injury a couple years ago in Minnesota, which forced the Vikings to uh, trade for Sam Bradford at the last minute. And now uh, he has the opportunity of a lifetime to prove himself worthy as a successor to Drew Brees in New Orleans. What a story would that be if he succeeded? Oh, that would be absolutely fantastic. And what a great opportunity. You know, the Saints were aggressive going out and getting him and having that level of depth behind Drew Brees just in case of this type of situation. And for Bridgewater, who's worked so hard to put himself into this position where he's back in the league and you know a viable NFL starter again for him he's got all the tools around him he's got tons of talent around him Michael Thomas he's got Alvin Kamara it's a great opportunity for him to increase his value and earn a starting job over the next few years Oh, plus that amazing offensive line as well. Teddy Bridgewater, you couldn't have asked for a better opportunity. And before we preview the games in week three, let's uh, discuss our takeaways from week two. And here is my takeaway. The NFL must make its officials full-time employees after a lot of disastrous missed calls on Sunday. And here are a few that stood out. And even though it didn't make the difference of the game, Jared Goff's arm clearly wasn't going forward and Cameron Jordan should have had a fumble six. And... While most of the attention in that wild Bears-Broncos game is going to be on the roughing the passer call at Bradley Chubb that should have been, and rightfully so, the game should have been still in play late as a careless inadvertent whistle robbed the Bears of a Kyle Fuller pick six. Fuller did not look down to me at all on that play. Are officials mainly to blame for the final outcome in that thrilling finish at mile high? Of course not. Don't leave anybody wide open on 4th and 15, y'all. But the NFL clearly needs people willing to devote every single second to improving their officiating craft so we don't have as many of these mistakes in the future. What say you, Hal? I couldn't agree more, David. They need to be working with the hundreds of officials that are in the college game as well and use that as a feeder system. They need officials who are younger, have more energy, who are able to keep up with the speed of the game, keep up with the speed of the players, officials being out of position. You've got to give up some of that experience to get officials who are, as you said, full-time, fully invested, younger, enthusiastic. That's what they need because it takes away so much from the product on the field. And if there's one thing the fans don't want to see, it's the officials inserting themselves into the game. They want it decided by the players on the field because that's what makes it an entertaining product, and that should be the focus of the NFL league office. It most certainly should, especially with not only the CBA with the players expiring, but the CBA with the Referees Association about to expire as well. And, Hal, uh, what was your main takeaway from Week 2? You know, I, I get a 
you know, the, the biggest one is, oh, my God, Patrick Mahomes, this man just keeps improving. He's better than he was last year. His movement in the pocket, the ability to buy time. He's not just throwing the ball to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey if he got into those ruts last season. He's turning receivers we've never heard of into superstars right in front of our eyes. That is an amazing growth of this 24-year-old quarterback who is vaulting himself into the discussion of the greatest of all time in only his second season as a starter right now. He is a joy to watch each and every Sunday. And speaking of that, Hal, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Patrick Mahomes. Happy birthday to you. 24 years young today, and in just his third season, second full season as a starter, you said it. He is already asserting himself into the conversation for the greatest quarterback ever to play, and he's just getting started, folks. In my opinion, Patrick Mahomes is hands down the best quarterback in football right now, and it really isn't even that close. No, I couldn't agree with you at all. I mean, he has taken that level. You know, the the great quarterbacks that we've seen, the the Brady, the Roethlisberger, the Brees, we're starting to see the age creeping up on those guys, and we've been really waiting for that next generation of quarterbacks to step in with the greatness. And, it, you know, it, it hasn't – we haven't seen them blossoming. You know, Matt Ryan hasn't made that next step to that elite status. Cam Newton hasn't made that next step. Marcus Mariota, disappointment compared to what the expectations were. Jameis Winston, huge disappointment there. So we really, you know, the NFL needs that superstar quarterback, and Patrick Mahomes has been a gift from the gods for the NFL because he is the best, the most exciting, and most entertaining player to watch right now. He most certainly is, and I'm a big Denver Broncos fan, and I uh, accept the fact that he's probably going to break my heart many times over these next uh, 10 plus years, but it is still a treat to watch such a rare, talented Pat Bones. He is the total package at quarterback with both the physical skill set and the mental mindset to succeed and win in the National Football League for many, many years. And now let's play a game I like to play every year at this point in the season. Uh, There are eight uh, two and O teams. You obviously have the Patriots, Patrick Mahomes, Chiefs, and the Rams. Three of the four finalists uh, from last season, but they're the other five. Um, I am not sure whether to call them contenders or imposters. Let's start out with those two and O Buffalo Bills. Are they a contender or an imposter? Well, uh, I'm leaning towards imposter. Their defense is legit and their defense may get them into the playoffs in a weak AFC. But that offense, that is not legitimate. They are not going to be a contender uh, pushing the Patriots around in the AFC East. It's just not going to happen. Uh, The Bills looking like another eight or nine win season because of those deficiencies on offense. So I'm going to say the Bills fall under the pretender category. Uh, we shall see. They have a pretty easy game this week. Uh, they could easily be 3-0, and but once they play those tougher defenses, Josh Allen's weaknesses might come to light even more. How about those Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson, contender or imposter? That is the toughest one to call right there because, again, just like Buffalo, we're not really sure, and and. It seems strange to say this, but Baltimore, I'm pretty confident in that offense with Lamar Jackson. It's that defense that I'm concerned about. I'm thinking there's, you know, there's a few holes on that defense. Um, The linebacking group isn't as strong as it's been in the past. They don't have that pass rushing edge. They've been, you know, decimated in free agency. You're looking at three key players from their front seven uh, being replaced this season as well. So, this week's a great test for Baltimore as well. We, we may really find that answer out on the field where they go up against Kansas City. But for right now, I really want to say that they're not a pretender. They are a contender, and they should, be, they should win the AFC North and edge out Cleveland in that regard. So they're right on the line. Let's lean, give them the benefit of the doubt and say contender. 
oh, it's hard not to call them a contender, especially with how consistently well they've played uh, over the years and uh, with how great Lamar Jackson has been so far this season. How about those Green Bay Packers and that defense? Aaron Rodgers not having to carry the team anymore. Yeah, and again, this is, you know, opposite of Baltimore. You expect Green Bay to have that great offense and, you know, to carry that defense, just like you expect Baltimore's defense to carry that offense. And, again, turning the world on its head this year, uh, it's been the defense for Green Bay, and that is a legitimate defense. And I'm going to call them contenders because if there's anybody that's going to figure it out and turn around a struggling offense, it's going to be Aaron Rodgers. Oh, it most certainly is. And Matt LaFleur, if you let Aaron Rodgers be Aaron Rodgers more often, you will reap the rewards big time. Trust me. And how about those Seattle Seahawks, man? Everybody was saying, oh, they're rebuilding. They're tearing it down. When the Legion of Boom left town, not so fast. This team is looking like it's still a pretty big contender. Definitely. I am all in on the Seahawks. I don't bet against Russell Wilson. No way, no how. And Pete Carroll is showing as one of the oldest head coaches in the NFL, he still has the drive and the energy and the smarts to get this team back to the top of the division. I've been so impressed by what I've seen out of Seattle so far. I'm saying they're an absolute contender. Well, the Rams and Seahawks aren't the only 2-0 teams from the NFC West. The San Francisco 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo have started the year 2-0. Contender or imposter? I really want to call them a contender. I really, You know, Kyle Shanahan, it looks like that offensive system is in place. It looks like that defense is finally stepping up. And then you take a step back and you go, oh, wait a minute. They played Tampa Bay and Cincinnati. Those teams are going to win six games between them if they're lucky. So I think it's a little too early. Um, I'm pumping the brakes a little bit on the 49ers. I think they could be a contender for a wild card spot. But for now, we're going to have to go with the pretender category there. They're not quite a contender. They're an imposter. Yes, they're going to have to prove it against a far, far more elite team down the line. And now let's play a game called This or That. And this game, I just ask a question with two options, and you just choose the option and explain why. Which of these two NFC powerhouses would you be more scared to face right now, the Rams or the Cowboys? I'm going to say the Rams, and the reason for that, this team is so much better than they were in the playoffs in the second half of last season because of one man, Cooper Cup, changes that entire offense and takes that offense back to that level they were in the first half of 2018 when they looked to be on a record pace for scoring points. So I'm going to go Rams in this one. And I think there's another name that deserves credit there. His name is Dante Fowler Jr. Dante Fowler was the third overall pick in the 2015 NFL Draft and tore his ACL at rookie minicamp that year and didn't uh, find his footing amidst that deep Jacksonville rotation. So the Jaguars traded him to the Rams last year. He's finally looking like the player that went third overall that the Jaguars expected him to be. So the Rams, uh, after having uh, not really a big presence off the edge, which is mandatory today's NFL, it looks like they have that with uh, Dante Fowler Jr. Aaron Donald now as a playmate. Great point indeed, and, and we really saw Fowler taking that step forward last year in the playoffs. He was a uh, force for the Rams uh, in that NFC Championship game and disrupting that New England offense in the Super Bowl. Oh, yes. Uh, he forced that key Drew Brees interception at overtime that led to Greg Zerline's uh, game-winning field goal at last year's NFC Championship. Very, very good point. And it was reported today by ESPN's Jenna Lane that the Jacksonville Jaguars want two first-round picks in order for them to trade Jalen Ramsey, who requested a trade after his sideline blow-up with Doug Marone on Sunday in Houston. Which of these two teams should send the Jaguars those two first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey? The Dallas Cowboys? or their NFC East rivals, the Philadelphia Eagles? I think the Cowboys are NFC Conference Championship material right now. If they, yeah, Really, it's hard for me because I think they both should be fighting to the front of the line. 
Philadelphia, obviously, you look at that defense and there's that deficiency in the secondary. If there's a weakness on that team, they're strong across the board. Receivers, running back, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers. It's only that secondary where Philadelphia falls apart. So they should be the more desperate team and offer that second first-round pick. But, boy, if you can pry them away for just 1-1, boy, Dallas, you should be thinking that too because that puts you – right smack in the middle of Super Bowl champion contender adding a player of Ramsey's value. Oh, and a player who could match up very well against those Patriots receivers in a potential Super Bowl matchup between the Cowboys and Patriots. And the NFC South, after Drew Brees' injury, it looks so wide open. Which of these two teams is more likely to win the NFC South? The Atlanta Falcons or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? You know, the, the way Tampa Bay's played, it's, it's kind of hard to, consi- to think that we're really considering them. But, you know, Tampa Bay, they, they may, they're so much more improved. But Atlanta has that pedigree. They've been to the Super Bowl. We saw them last week beating the Eagles as well on what wasn't a great game for Matt Ryan there. He was, you know, struggling against them, and they were still able – to put it together and get that first win of the season. I think right now it's the Falcons division to lose. So I'm going Atlanta. Very interesting. And we could be seeing an entirely different tune at the end of uh, this week and at the end of the following week as well. It's going to be a very, very close race in that NFC South division. And who would you rather have as your team's head coach, Adam Gase or Eric Bieniemy? I think at this point, I'm going with Eric Bieniemy. I, You know, we touched on this briefly uh, uh, last week or the week before, David. I'm really questioning, you know, did the New York Jets make a horrible de- decision bringing in Adam Gase? You know, his track record in Miami was abysmal. Granted, he's onto a third-string quarterback here, but I didn't see any confidence or, you know, expectation that the Jets were – going to be any better than that middling team that seems to be the calling card of Adam Gase versus what Eric Bieniemy is doing as the offensive coordinator. He should be at the top of everyone's list, and I think the Jets made a big mistake going with Gase over him. I am starting to think that as well. And last night's performance for the Jets, yes, Sam Donald was out. Yes, C.J. Mosley was out. Yes, Quinn Williams was out. It was an M-E-S-S, mess, mess, mess. <laughs> it, it, and, but th- that's still not excusable. Good coaches and good teams find ways to win with and compete their hearts out without their star players. And they're, the, it's still a top-heavy roster with the Jets. And the Jets, uh, they're going to need to give Joe Douglas the full powers over Adam Gase sooner rather than later. Because if Adam Gase still has equal powers to Joe Douglas, the Jets are making a monstrous mistake, in my opinion. I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, Gates, that clock has got to be ticking on him. You know, he may get a, a free pass this year with Darnold down and out early and often, but the Jets spent a lot of money, a lot of high draft capital as well to build this team and to see them in a position where they're 0-2 and, and looking at starting this season 0-6 and six maybe before they get Darnold back in a winnable game this is not a good look for a team that thought they were going to be contending this year. And that Jets ownership is going to be on a short leash for sure. Oh, they better. And speaking of uh, the Jets and bad AFC East teams, now that the Miami Dolphins have the Steelers 2020 first round pick courtesy of the Mika Fitzpatrick trade, which quarterback needy team should they fear the most in the tank for Tua sweepstakes, the Bengals or the Broncos? I think they should it, – it's got to be the Bengals. I, I think the Broncos are just – they've got too much talent around that field um, to be tanking too hard in Denver. They're just going to win too many games. That defense is going to keep them in those games. Um, you know, I think they're in a situation where they're just too strong-willed um, with – Vic Fangio there running the team. He is not going to accept tanking from his players around him. 
and they may only win six or seven games, but it's it's going to be somebody like Cincinnati that's right there at the bottom with this, uh, you know, just falling apart completely and into that um, tank mode there uh, to compete with Miami. So I'm going to go with the Bengals in this case. And last but not least, which quarterback would you rather have long-term, Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson? Oh, Lamar Jackson all day, every day in this case. I, you know, I Josh Allen has played better than expected in my mind these last two weeks, but Lamar Jackson, you know, I, I don't understand the the criticism of him when he came into the league and when he played as a rookie, yes, they, they needed to open up that offense, but he was stepping into an offense built for Joe Flacco. And we've seen the change where they're able to customize that offense to fit his strengths and skills versus Josh Allen. I just look at him and sometimes I think Jeff George, I just can't help myself. And, and that's a best case scenario for him in my mind. So Lamar Jackson all the time. And they were saying Lamar Jackson couldn't throw when his college tape showed he had much more advanced pocket skills than anybody ever thought he did. Exactly. Anybody that watched him in college knew that he can throw the football. I I don't understand where that narrative came from in the draft and immediately afterwards. And I think he's having a good time and a big smile on his face showing everybody that they didn't know what they were talking about when they said he couldn't throw. And I hope he continues to prove those guys wrong and gets better throughout the season, especially with all those star quarterbacks sidelined. And speaking of Lamar Jackson, the Ravens at the Chiefs is our game of the week this week. Lamar Jackson and company traveling to Arrowhead to take on Patrick Mahomes and company. And last week, you alluded to this earlier, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals found some holes in that Ravens defense, particularly in that vertical passing game. How ominous of a sign is that for Baltimore going into Arrowhead and facing arguably not only the best quarterback in the NFL right now, but probably the strongest star, but one of the best deep ball throwing quarterbacks we've ever seen? Oh, that's very ominous indeed. And, you know, for for Baltimore, that's going to be a point of emphasis all week long and all day on Sunday because there's one thing you don't want is you don't want those quick strikes from Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes and turning this game into a track meet that, you know, uh, Chiefs, you've got to be able to control that clock. You've got to be able to keep that offense on the sideline because that's the only way you're going to hold that team down and keep them from scoring is just keeping them off that field. And if you're giving up big plays to them and falling behind, you're not going to be able to keep that disciplined approach on offense and be able to keep that game close. Indeed. And what adjustments will the Ravens need to make on defense from last week's outing? Well, they're going to have to see improved play from that secondary. That's going to start with Earl Thomas. He's still new to this team, yes, but he has to be the quarterback back there. And the rest of that secondary around them have to be able to take that direction, communicate, make sure everything's covered up around them. And then the second thing is is that the Chiefs, they're going to run vertical from anywhere, whether it's on the sideline, whether it's in the middle of the field, doesn't matter where that is. So everybody in that secondary has got to be taking a step backwards. If you're playing Kansas City, you've got to take that approach of they're not beating us deep. We're going to make them work for every yard. If they have to complete 10 five-yard passes to get down the field and run the ball six times, then you're going to force them to do that repeatedly and repeatedly. The same defensive um, strategies you saw Bill Belichick do against Peyton Manning all those years, force him to take check downs, force him to put together those 10 to 12 yard drives. Now, Patrick Mahomes can do that, sure, just like Peyton Manning did, but you increase your chances of somebody else making a mistake, a wide receiver fumbling, a running back, a tipped pass. The more opportunities you have to make a play. So that's what that defense has got to be focused on. Take away the top of the – don't let them take the top off. Take away the deep fields and force them into taking those check downs. Most certainly. And let's talk about this Chiefs defense, who had a much improved showing last week in Oakland compared to week one against Gardner Minshew and the Jaguars. 
But obviously now they face the red-hot Lamar Jackson at this explosive Ravens offense with Mark Egram, rookie running back Justice Hill, Hollywood Brown, Miles Boykin, Mark Andrews. The Ravens actually have an offense. Has the world gone topsy-turvy? <laughs> so what will this Chiefs defense have to do in order to slow down Lamar Jackson company? But my bigger concern is, do they have the personnel to do it? Yeah, I, I, I'm really concerned. I, I, you know, this this defense is going to have a problem, and and whether it's going to be, you know, are they going to try to pin Lamar Jackson down? Is that going to mean the disciplined pass rush coming from, you know, the Frank Clark, the Alex Okafor, the Emmanuel Ogba, the controlled rush to keep him in the pocket, not let him get outside of the pocket and extend the plays, and hope that that pressure coming up the middle specifically Chris Jones is going to be able to swallow him up and control him because once you start letting him, you know, 150 yards rushing or whatever it is and letting him extend those plays outside the pocket, that's when your secondary is going to break down because they just don't have the horses to stop them back there. Oh, absolutely. Very good point. This game could be very, very high scoring. And what certain one-on-one matchups do you think will decide this game? There's, You know, I think the first thing we have to see is how is Baltimore going to try to stop Travis Kelsey? I think most, you know, we saw it with Oakland. Um, we've seen it with Kansas City. There's been a lot of emphasis on taking him out of the game plan, forcing you know, Mahomes to go to those other options, which he has done, but you still don't want to have Travis Kelsey running roughshod over you across the middle of the field. So for Baltimore, how are you going to stop him? Are you going to use a cornerback on him? Are you going to use, you know, one of your uh, safeties on him? Uh, how do you defend against that one of the best tight ends in the NFL and take him away from destroying you up the seams? And so seeing how they match up with him, I think really it'd be in the best case for Baltimore. You know, you, you can't put a linebacker any, anywhere near him. You're going to need, um, you know, one of your safeties coming up, being able to make a play on him, being able to match up on him one-on-one. And, you know, whether that's Tony Jefferson or not, we'll see. But I think he should get the first shot. And if he can slow down Kelsey – you know, that's how you get – that's a big key to getting Kansas City off the field is not having that safety net on third down available. And when it comes to the Ravens' offense against the Chiefs' defense, you mentioned the Chiefs probably having to use the so-called mush rush against Lamar Jackson to keep him contained in the pocket. A key uh, force in doing that is easily going to be Chris Jones, one of the best at his position, uh, not named Aaron Donald in the NFL. Chris Jones is likely headed for a big payday very, very soon. And at that uh, defensive tackle position, he going up against the interior of that uh, solid Ravens' offensive line, uh, he is going to have to lead the charge to keep Lamar Jackson in the pocket by maintaining his gap discipline and uh, being in his face. And those other two edge rushers are going to have to compress the pocket along with him. It's going to be a three-man show on that Chiefs defensive line with Okafor, Frank Clark, and Chris Jones to keep Lamar Jackson contained in that pocket all day long. That's a great point, and that's going to put a lot of pressure on that interior. We all know Marshall Yanda, one of the best interior offensive linemen. If I'm Baltimore, I'm trying to get him on Jones as as much as as possible. Matt Scorer at center, Bradley Bozeman, they're solid inside, but they're not anything like Marshall Yanda. So if I'm Kansas City, I'm scheming Jones away from Yanda, and if I'm Baltimore, I'm scheming Yanda right onto Jones whenever I can. Absolutely. And who do you think comes away in our game of the week at Arrowhead with a victory? You know, this is going to be an exciting game. I I think it is going to be high scoring as well. I'm just not prepared to pick against Patrick Mahomes at this point. I think the offense is going to find a way in Kansas City to put up too many points. And I have Baltimore's offense hanging close because I think they're going to move the ball as well. But Kansas City in an entertaining 34 to 30 win over the Ravens. We're simpatico there. Uh, you have it 34 30, Chiefs. I have it 34 27, Kansas City Chiefs. And that brings us to our stat of the week. Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes are the only quarterbacks in the Super Bowl era to have a 70 plus percent completion rate 
and seven or more passing touchdowns and no interceptions through the first two games of the season. Those numbers courtesy of NFL Research. And now it's fantasy football time, and it's time to set my lineup. And this week, we go with my friend Will in his half-point PPR league. His quarterback, he only has one. It's Lamar Jackson. Ride with Lamar all season long, man. I think Lamar is going to be consistent for you in fantasy throughout this season. Running backs are a bit of a head-scratch for him. Damian Williams isn't certain to play this week. Devin Singletary um, got hurt in the last game. Marlon Mack, Justin Jackson, or Chris Thompson. If David Williams and Devin Singletary can't go, who do you start in that second running back spot behind Marlon Mack? That is a tough one there. Um, you know, David, I, I think I'd be leaning towards Jackson, but that that's looking like a, a coin flip right there as far as I'm concerned, you know. Um, oh yeah, I'd be watching that at that health of Williams and Singletary <laughs> leading into that game and hoping one of those two could go for sure. Oh, absolutely. And uh, hopefully uh, there's a good running back for you on waiver wire, Will. And uh, so go to your waiver wire immediately and find a running back because two of your uh, top three running backs are uncertain to play this week. Uh, look at this wide receiver core, man. Devontae Adams, Amari Cooper, Michael Thomas, Deshaun Jackson, although he is not expected to play either this week or next week on Thursday night against the Packers, and Allen Robinson. Uh, Because of the uncertainty with the chemistry between Michael Thomas and Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Devontae Adams and Amari Cooper should be locked into those two wide receiver spots. Definitely. I agree with that. Um, You know, it's hard to say Michael Thomas because even if I'm Teddy Bridgewater, he's going to be the first one I'm looking for as well. Um, but, boy, yeah, that is a loaded group at wide receiver for sure, though. So, um, Adams, Cooper, definitely. I'd be leaning towards Thomas, uh, even with Teddy Bridgewater over Robinson, although I don't think you could go wrong with either one. Yeah, but we still have a flex position. And so Michael Thomas or Allen Robinson, you give Michael Thomas the slight edge because of uh, Mitchell Trubisky's slow start. Good point there as well. Yeah, and then, you know, if we need, we'll get to that flex, and Robinson looks like the leader right now for me. Oh, Robinson, very interesting. So Michael Thomas or Allen Robinson at your flex, it's a coin flip. I would personally... Uh, because you're uncertain whether uh, about the chemistry between Michael Thomas and Teddy Bridgewater, A-Rob might be the safer play there with, with DJX out this week and next. So Allen Robinson is your flex. Devontae Adams and Marty Cooper is your two wide receivers. And uh, if uh, healthy, uh, Williams and Marlon Mack I'll have as your two running backs. But if Williams can't go, then you got to put Devin Singletary in his place. But if Singletary can't go then uh, you might have to go to the waiver wire and pick up Frank Gore if he's available because the Bills have a pretty sexy matchup against that Bagels defense that's been a heaven for running backs in fantasy so far uh, this season. And at tight end, he has a pretty interesting choice. Delaney Walker against the Jaguars or Mark Andrews against the Chiefs. You have Lamar Jackson. Roll with the potential double points with Mark Andrews all damn day. I agree with you 100% there. Andrews is, you know, a top target there. He's getting fed. Keep him out there until they take the food away from him. You said it. And now we're going to introduce a new game here when it comes to our waiver wire. Gem or garbage? I'm going to mention a player who went off last week, and you tell me whether he's waiver wire gem or waiver wire garbage. Starting with Debo Samuel, the 49ers rookie wide receiver from South Carolina who had five receptions for 87 yards and a touchdown. I'm going to go with the gem, especially this week, going up against that Pittsburgh secondary that's been getting torched so far. Um, if if you can get Debo, go get him. He's a gem. How about Demarcus Robinson with defenses devoting a lot of attention to Sammy Watkins with Tyree Kill out? I think he's uh, looking like a one-game wonder there. I think you're going to see... Uh, more of their first-round pick, Nicole Hardeman, getting those uh, catches. I think it was just a case of he just happened to be running wide open, and he's going to go back to his zero for zeros or one reception for 43 yards like he has done for the last two seasons. So I'm going garbage on that call. Nicole Hardman, is he a waiver wire gem or waiver wire garbage? 
Well, you know me. I'm saying that's a gem right there. So <laughs> I don't think I could call him garbage where he's taking all of those catches. So, yeah, look for a lot more production out of him. If he's still on your waiver wire, scoop him right up. Yeah, Miko Hardman, he's a player in the mold of Tyler Lockett. You want him on your fantasy team, especially in PPR leagues. A.J. Brown, the rookie for the Tennessee Titans, who has beaten out Adam Humphreys for that slot job. Gem or garbage? I'm going with a gem. I think they're going to keep riding him. He has really uh, stepped up in that role, and Corey Davis hasn't been getting the targets like expected. You know, Tennessee, they're heavy on the ground, so if they're only feeding one and he's the one, keep going to him. I'm going to say Brown is a gem. How about that tight end with the Raiders who posted 93 yards last week and had another good week the week before at week one, Darren Waller? Waller, um, I'm going to call – he better be a gem because I just picked him up this week for one of my teams off the waiver wire already this week. So, he, no, we've seen, <laughs> you know, with Oakland that, that that is a team where Derek Carr likes to feed the tight end and the, if you're going to get open – Across the middle, he is going to feed you the ball repeatedly. So, yes, I'm going with a gem for Waller there. The Falcons might have a Tevin Coleman role for this guy after all. Edo Smith, waiver wire gem or waiver wire garbage? You know, he was a waiver wire hero last year. I don't know. And then he quickly burned out. So he looked like a gem early turned into garbage by the end of the season. It's going to take a little bit more out of Edo Smith for me to, to move him back into the gem category this year. So I'm going to keep him in the garbage role right now on the waiver wire. And that concludes the fantasy football portion of this week's episode. And now we move on to our week three game predictions, starting with Thursday night's tilt in Duval between the Tennessee Titans and Jacksonville Jaguars. If you like defenses, if you like the ugly, low-scoring games like that Bears-Broncos game, I think you're going to love this game. I see it ugly, low-scoring, and very close until the very end. I have the Jacksonville Jaguars winning this game, 13-9. How? Stay tuned to my bowl predictions. Oh, I agree with you, David, as well. I see Jacksonville winning at home as well. Um, the controversy, short week, that's just going to pull this team together, I think. Um, Tennessee, tough traveling down to Duval. Um, I have it low scoring as well. Jacksonville 16, Tennessee 13 on Thursday night. We were right on our upset special last week. The Detroit Lions beat the Los Angeles Chargers 13-10. And the Lions traveled to Philadelphia to take on an Eagles team with a receiving core that is bagged up. Deshaun Jackson is unlikely to play. Alshon Jeffrey, there's a good chance he doesn't play. And there's also a good chance that Dallas Goddard doesn't play. The cupboard is almost bare for Carson Wentz uh, in the passing game, man. And I think the Lions pull it off on the road 20-17 to with that defense and that efficient ground game with on Johnson. And that Eagles defensive line is also banged up. Beep, 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 beep. The sympathetical alert's going off again, David. I am almost exactly the same score. I have Detroit 20-16 to upsetting Philadelphia on the road as well. I, I've been impressed with the Lions um, so far this season. You're, you're seeing the improvement on the defensive and offensive line of really carrying this team. We're seeing a team that's built from the inside out, and it's taking on the identity of Matt, Patri Pat Matt Patricia, <laughs> their head coach, not just a rocket scientist, but a head coach as well. They play smart. They play tough. Um, Daryl Bevel's doing a great job, I think, in balancing those offensive weapons. I really like what I see out of Detroit. They're looking sneaky good, so I'm happy to go with them as my upset special a second week in a row. And this game is my lock of the week, personally. The Miami Dolphins traveling to Jerry World to take out the Cowboys. They traded away big of its The Dolphins are just taking. They are taking. And you know what I mean, folks. The Dallas Cowboys, uh, they should have no problem carving up that Dolphins defense, which is down to, like, just two core players and Christian Wilkins, uh, who will struggle against interior offensive line, and Xavier Howard. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys roll over the Dolphins 37-7. to 
I agree with you 100%, David. I have Dallas maybe taking their foot off the gas a little at the end and being polite. Uh, 31-3 to is the final. The Denver Broncos, after that excruciating loss to the Chicago Bears at the gun, traveled to Lambeau Field to take out Aaron Rodgers at that Packers defense. And while I do expect the Broncos to get better as the season goes on, it's going to get worse before it gets better as the Packers roll all over the Broncos at Lambeau, 31-7. Well, you know, I, I don't think the Green Bay offense is clicking at 100%, which is going to make the game a little bit closer, but I am still leaning towards Green Bay holding court at home just in a closer and uglier 16-13 to 13 win over the Broncos. If that's that kind of game, I would take that as a moral win for the Broncos, a young team uh, that still has little to no margin fair, that is still learning and still improving. If the Broncos exceed expectations like that this Sunday, that is a good sign for them, not just this season, for but for several seasons to come as Vic Fangio's scheme uh, continues to take root in the Mile High City. The Oakland Raiders, uh, after a very impressive week one win at the Broncos, had an impressive first quarter against the Chiefs. Athlete fell flat on their face as Patrick Mahomes just torched them for a 309-yard second quarter. And they traveled to Minnesota to take on a Vikings team that is hurt after a very tough loss at Green Bay. Uh, I think the Raiders actually keep this close uh, through most of the game, but I think the Vikings and Dalvin Cook in that running game pull away at the end 24-13. Yeah, I, I agree with you, David. I, I really wanted to, to give Oakland a chance in this game, but I just don't see them pulling it out. Um, I have Minnesota winning maybe a little bit easier, 27-17. to 17. After sweeping the Jets and Giants at MetLife Stadium, the Buffalo Bills returned to Western New York for their home opener against the Cincinnati Bagels, who had an impressive showing in a losing effort against the Seahawks in Week 1, but fell flat on their face against the Niners Week 2. I think that Bills defense uh, and that running game carry the day for the Bills in a 21-10 effort. I'm with you, David. I wanted to see maybe Cincinnati can catch Buffalo peeking ahead to their next matchup against New England, but home opener, that defense, the Bengals, I just couldn't convince myself that there was a realistic chance of happening. I think Cincinnati will play them tough, but it'll be not quite enough, and Buffalo winning at home 24-17. to this game is a toss-up for me. The Atlanta Falcons traveling to Indianapolis to take on the Colts, who have been very impressive in their one and one start with Jacoby Prissett now under center. The Indianapolis Colts are a team that's going to play you tough for 60 minutes all season long. They're going to have a chance to win every single game. Frank Reich and Matt Eberflus, they can coach, folks. And I was originally leading towards the Colts 1917 until I heard that Darius Leonard is in the concussion protocol and he's the hard soul of that defense. If he is out, I got to give a narrow edge to the Atlanta Falcons, but uh, this pick could change by the end of the week. But for now, I am taking the Falcons 19 to 17. Ooh. Um, you know, I, I also believe this is a close game and, and this isn't one of those, you know, ugly rock fights either this is two very good teams as well uh Darius Leonard definitely something to watch there I still think Indy's going to find a way to pull it out at at home and who knows maybe embattled kicker Adam Vinatieri can pull one more time a quick uh field goal to win it at the end of regulation and I have Indy 23 to 20 over Atlanta that game is going to be a very close game and nothing would surprise me at that game and if there is another candidate for lock of the week, it is this. The M-E-S-S, mess, mess, mess. That is the Sam Darnoldless Adam Gase coach, New York Jets, being quarterbacked by Luke Falk after Trevor Simeon was lost for the season last night with an ankle injury, traveled to Foxborough to play Tom Brady and those New England Patriots who absolutely shut down the Dolphins, as expected, 43 to nothing last week. I think the Patriots win in a similar effort by a score of 45-3. to Yeah, I know all the talk about the New England offense, Antonio Brown, Josh Gordon, Julian Edelman, all those tools, but it's been the defense that's been the talk of the town all summer, and we everybody else is starting to see why that defense 
you know, they, you want to go big and go up against the run, they can do it. You want to pressure the quarterback from multiple players, they can do it. Dial up blitzes and a secondary that goes four deep with at cornerback. This team is scary good. I have them cruising over the Jets 33-3. to The Carolina Panthers may be quarterback by Kyle Allen. Travel to the desert to take out Kyler Murray at the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray is among the top five in passing yards so far. He's had a pretty good start to his rookie season outside of those first three quarters against the Lions. A very tough defense, by the way. Uh, in week one, and the the Panthers are a tough defense, but they just don't seem to be the same as they used to be. And if Cam Newton's not playing this game, I like Kyler Murray to get his first win. Uh, It's going to be close and relatively low scoring, but uh, if uh, Cam Newton doesn't play, give me Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury their first NFL wins, 20-17. to I'm with you, David. I think, you know, whether Cam plays or not, a banged-up Cam Newton isn't going to be enough uh, I've got Arizona 24 to 16 over Carolina, uh, regardless of who's at quarterback. Oh, that's a very good point. Heck, I even said at the top of the show that Cab Newton looked like a diminished player last Thursday night, and and he did. The fact that they wanted quarterback sneak him on not one, not two, but three fourth and ones, it shows you everything. It just tells you everything how messed up Cam is. Cam is. Exactly. And, you know, all that talent. And again, it's that situation where you've got to invest in that front five and keep your quarterback upright because we're starting to see what happens to these teams and what happens to these marquee quarterbacks when you can't keep them upright. You said it, Hal. And speaking of quarterbacks, Daniel Jones making his NFL debut that he should have made two weeks ago. The Giants, you should have kissed Eli goodbye this summer for crying out loud. Travel to Tampa to take out the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who had a very impressive showing uh, last uh, Thursday night. Uh, Daniel Jones, uh, I think uh, he showed us what he's capable of in preseason, but I think he struggles uh, in his debut at Tampa. That uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense under Todd Bowles looks dramatically improved, and that Giants defense just looks terrible. And uh, even against Jameis Winston with those weapons and Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, Cameron Brait, O.J. Howard, and, and, and those two running backs, Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones, running the ball pretty well. They ran the ball against a formidable front last week very well. And uh, Bruce Arians uh, against uh, Pat Sherman, a rookie quarterback, I don't think uh, the Giants are going to win. I think Tampa Bay pulls it out 26-17. What hell? Ooh. I think it's going to be close there. I think it's a very, very close game. I think Tampa Bay should win, but I don't think they will. I have the Giants and Daniel Jones pulling this out, and I'll have more about it in my bold prediction, but I have a Giants 24, Tampa Bay 23. You picked the Giants in your upset special last week, or one of them, so uh, we'll see if you're right this week compared to last week. Now, this is a hard game to pick. The Houston Texans traveling to Carson to take on the Chargers. These are two teams I have a hard time trusting right now. The Chargers, God, uh, why do the football gods have to be so cruel to this team? Why? Derwin James, last year's defensive rookie of the year, out indefinitely with that stress fracture in his foot. And now you lose Hunter Henry, Mike Williams, uh, although he did uh, improve later in the week and made some good plays last week, he's not quite 100% with his knee, and, and that offensive line is just easily a bottom five unit right now, uh, and their kicking game, they just can't see, even seem to find a kicker. Even the Bears found a kicker before them, for crying out loud. The, the Chargers, they just can't seem to shake all these negative things that come at them each year, and the Houston Texans, they barely survived Gardner Minshew with the Jaguars in a low-scoring defensive battle, uh, and Deshaun Watson uh, didn't look as good as he did in week one. And Bill O'Brien is the a coach I just don't trust to put his team in optimal positions to, to win the game. So does Bill O'Brien's play calling lose the game for the Texans? Or do, does bad luck lose the game for the Chargers? It is hard to choose right now. But if I had to make a decision right now, and this decision will change a lot of times over these next couple days... I might have to go with J.J. Watt, Whitney Merciless, and D.J. Reader, that Texans front, against that troublesome charge offensive line. 
doing a strip sack of Phillip Rivers, which makes the difference in a 24-21 Texans victory. The Chargers take a little bit of a step back before they get two easier games against the Dolphins and Broncos. David, I agree. Houston, the one thing they have uh, that separates them from a lot of other teams is DeAndre Hopkins, and I'm expecting him to step up and have a huge game against that decimated Chargers team. Don't forget Adrian Phillips, who is in for Derwin James, broke his arm, and he's going to be out for a while as well. So you're looking at that Chargers just completely banged up, not enough healthy bodies out there. I think Houston finds a way 27-20 to 20 over the Chargers. Mason Rudolph makes his NFL debut as the Steelers travel to Santa Clara to take on the 2-0 49ers. I think the 49ers remain undefeated this week because the Steelers team, not only did they lose uh, arguably their best player in Ben Roethlisberger, their young defense is going through some growing pains right now, especially uh, rookie Devin Bush. And yes, they got Mika Fitzpatrick, but uh, this is his first week learning a new system. It's going to take him a while to get used to it. So uh, I see Jimmy Garoppolo, George Kittle, and those running backs torching those Steelers linebackers in the passing game. And the 49ers pull it out at the end by a final score of 27-17. to Yeah, I think it's going to be even easier than that for the 49ers. At home, Pittsburgh having to travel. That defense, which has struggled as well. I have the 49ers 31-13 to over a Steelers team who's a little bit still in shell shock after losing Ben Roethlisberger. Teddy Bridgewater's New Orleans Saints travel to Seattle to take on the Seahawks. And keep in mind, the Saints travel directly to Seattle from L.A. this week. So they have a, an advantage that the Steelers do not have this week, having to having the Steelers having played a home game uh, last week. And uh, this game, I think, is going to be closer than many expect. I think Sean Payne comes out with a great plan for Teddy Bridgewater. I think they run the ball effectively with uh, Alvin Kamara. Uh, th- that Seahawks defense... Uh, they have talent, but they're still young and learning. So uh, Teddy Bridgewater company, keep it close. But I think uh, Russell Wilson uh, and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Chris Carson, Rashad Petty, that ruddy game, I think they make uh, far too many big plays in the end. I see the Seahawks winning a close one, 23-20. Yeah, I, I've got the Seahawks as well, holding court at home. Uh, you know, we, I think Javian Clowney's been a perfect fit over there for them as well on that defensive front, and he'll give the Saints fits as well. And 24-16 to 16 is what I have it with the Seahawks winning. Sunday Night Football features the L.A. Rams traveling to Cleveland to take on the Cleveland Browns, who uh, won last night uh, handily over the decimated New York Jets. And this game, I want to pick the Browns badly because I'm a big Baker Mayfield fan, and I'm so happy that for the fans of Cleveland, that they finally have an NFL team that is competitive after all these years. But their offensive line is still a major, major concern, and they're, and they're still getting used to the new system under Freddie Kitchens. So, uh, and Aaron Donald and Dante Fowler, that Rams front going up against that awful Cleveland Browns offensive line, that's going to be the difference in this game. I think the Rams take it. It's going to be close, but the Rams uh, pull it out the end 26-23. to yeah, I, I, I'm with you as well, David. I really wanted to pick Cleveland as well. I was trying to find a way to see if I, you know, is there some way that they're going to pull this off here and be able to slow down the Rams on that Rams offense? And I just don't see it happening on Sunday night. I've got the Rams pulling away in the second after a close first half, winning handily 34-24 to over the Browns. Monday night at these decks, Several weeks of Monday Night Football are rather underwhelming in terms of quarterback play. Goes to our nation's capital where Mitchell Trubisky of the Bears take on Case Keatum and the Redskins. And believe it or not, this is my upset special of the week. Case Keatum has quietly been playing some very effective football so far because Jay Gruden actually knows how to use him. He's doing all those play-action passes with Case Keatum uh, to scary Terry McLaurin, that amazing rookie. Uh, And the Broncos uh, didn't use play-action at all with Case Keatum. Uh, last season and yes the Bears uh, were able to escape Denver with a hard-fought win and yes uh, it's a game they should have lost because of that rough of the passer call against Bradley Chubb but it's also a game they should have won more handily because of that blown call on that 
should be should have been Kyle Fuller pick six, but they just don't look that impressive to me anymore. Uh, the, yeah, the defense is still very, very good, but they're not great enough to single-handedly carry the team anymore. And Mitchell Trubisky just, could, outside of the final uh, pass he threw to Allen Robinson, which was a gift from the Broncos' secondary, he looks absolutely terrible, and I think he continues to struggle at Washington. That secondary had the play of the game, Cubs with Case Keenum making a long shot to Terry McLaurin for the game's lone touchdown. Redskins win 13-9 over the Bears in my upset special of the week. Well, I'm taking the Bears. I certainly can see your upset special because I agree Case Keenum has been a surprise for the Redskins this year, and it seems like a a great fit for him in that offensive system. I'm still picking that Bears. I still think that defense is going to be strong enough to slow down Washington, and I think the Bears are eventually going to look at this offense as they get ready into Monday night and say, we have to get the ball to David Montgomery and make him that lead back and ride him against this Redskins team and score just enough points to edge it out, 16-13 to 13, Chicago over Washington. Yes, Bears. Feed David Montgomery early enough, and he showed you exactly why you have to do so last week with a very inspired performance against the Denver Broncos. And now for our bold predictions for Week 3, and here's my goal prediction. The Titans are going to be leading the Jaguars 9-6 with two minutes left. The Jaguars have the ball at their own 10-yard line, but the mustache man himself, Gardner Fullman Minshew, he leads a 90-yard game-winning touchdown drive in the final two minutes. Ooh, I like that, and I am behind Gardner Minshew. What an exciting player to add to this uh, NFL season. He's been a highlight so far early. I love that bold prediction, David. Um, my bold prediction last week was the Giants winning because they were smart enough to bench Eli Manning at halftime. They didn't listen to me. They lost. Now, at least they put Eli on the bench where he should have been to start with, I think. And Daniel Jones lights it up for the Giants, 300 yards passing in his first game, three touchdowns, and he leads. A New York Giants team takes advantage of those heavy fronts trying to stop uh, Saquon, and it is a Giants 24-23 win behind the arm of Daniel Jones over Tampa Bay. That might not be so bold, but we'll consider it bold. (laughs) And last but not least, our challenge flags, and I start with Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins... A costly decision by you cost the Vikings first place last week, and it could end up being the difference in the race for the NFC North when all is said and done in 2019. Kirk, yes, you do need to make more plays in crunch time, but don't try to play hero ball either. Know that there is a fine line between making a play and being stupid. You tried to play hero ball on that play. Yes, the play design was very good, but you just... Threw that ball into double coverage and he got picked off on first and goal. Don't do that. Just throw it away in those situations. So Kirk Cousins, yes, make more plays, but don't try to be the hero and keep Dalvin Cook as the focal point of that offense all game long. Great, great point, David. I couldn't agree with you more. My challenge flag, going out to all those teams with those injured quarterbacks, Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, New Orleans, Carolina. Oh, heck, throw the Jets in there, too. You were all preseason playoff team. Somebody was picking you somewhere, and there's a reason for that. You've got to find that balance on offense. Without your star quarterback there, your defense needs to step it up. Your special teams need to be coached up to make an impact and keep you in these games. All five of you, your full coaching staff, make it happen. Make it competitive and see if you can keep this season on the right track despite the devastating injury. 
He is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. And you can catch his work at FullPressCoverage.com. And if you're a Patriots fan, at MusketFire.com. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to preview week four of the 2019 NFL season and a lot more content as well. So stay tuned. In the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at SportsCrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Hal Bent, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.